Thanks, James. Again, good to see you here this morning. And uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Mark as we continue in our series in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 8. This morning, I'll be reading from uh, verses 22 through 26. As you're turning, I hope you have a great Thanksgiving uh, this week. Many of you have sent in uh, or texted me and emailed me uh, some of the things that you are thankful for, uh, and I really appreciate that. That's been just, it's been great for my soul just to hear uh, and to read some of those. So if you uh, still would like to do that, you can do that. Text me, email me. Again, it may appear in an upcoming Elder's Corner video. Uh, it may not, but the Lord knows. Uh, but you still have time to do that, and I do hope you have a good Thanksgiving uh, this week with family and friends. If you're able to, please stand as I read Mark chapter 8, verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his, his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. Join me in prayer. Our great God and heavenly Father, your word is authoritative. It is sufficient for life and godliness. It is true. It is without error. And so we trust you now, Lord, that as we come to your word and pay attention to your word, that you will teach us, you will reprove us, you will correct us, you will train us in righteousness for righteous living. Give us understanding to know you, faith to believe, and the will to live a life that really does please you, O oh Lord. We confess we are needy, we are weak people. We need a great Savior. We thank you that you are exactly that. So be pleased to work in us and through us and for us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been wearing glasses or contact lenses now for about 35 years. And like our favorite cartoon character, if you were with us last week, Mr. Magoo, I am extremely nearsighted. So if I took my glasses off, that would not be a good thing. You would all be very blurry. I'd probably be a danger to you and likely to myself. But over the 35 years or so that I have had corrective lenses, my prescription really hasn't changed all that much. My eyes really haven't changed. In fact, there was a time, some time ago now, there, there was about a decade when I never... I never quite seemed to make it to the optometrist. And so finally, upon marriage, then Becky sent me to the optometrist. And I remember walking in there and then walking out about an hour later and I had the very same prescription. Now all of that changed about three months ago. Because about three months ago, I got old. <laughs> and it just happened like that. And now I am officially turning into my father. 
who's a great guy, that's actually a compliment, it's, I will take that as a compliment, but I now have my favorite pair of slippers that I wear around the house, and I now have progressive lenses, bifocals, basically. Yes. Amen. Now, now, prior to this new prescription, I, I could tell that when I was reading, and this last summer I did a fair amount of reading, and, and suddenly the words became blurry. It was clear here, it was clear here, but not here. And that's a little bit unnerving. Some of you are old like me, and so you know how this works. You, you know that you're supposed to be able to read words on a page. They're supposed to not be blurry, but yet they are. And so your brain kind of kicks it into overdrive there, and you wonder what's going on. Am I actually awake? Is there enough lighting? Am I just dreaming this? Am I just making this up? Are my eyes actually open? Is this what a stroke feels like? And on and on it goes. Now, thankfully, again, my optometrist confirmed that, no, your eyes have just changed, confirming that, yes, I am indeed of that age. Uh, so I, I'm thankful now that I have glasses so that when I actually look down, I can actually read my sermon notes now. You had no idea. I couldn't do that for so long. It's a wonderful thing. Physical sight is important, obviously. It's probably something that we take for granted. I mean, most of us, when we wake up in the morning, we get up out of bed, we open our eyes, and we just assume that we can see, and we just go about our day. As important as physical sight is to this earthly life, spiritual sight is even more important. To be blind spiritually, well, that has eternal consequences. If you are blind to Christ, to the good news of the gospel, to his work of redemption on your behalf, if you're blind to your need to be reconciled, restored to a right relationship with God, well, then it reveals that you are still under the just and wrathful condemnation of God. And so your only hope then is to turn to Jesus in faith, to ask him for spiritual eyes, for, for new eyes, to be able to see him clearly, to be able to see your great need, to be forgiven of your sins and restored so that you, you might enjoy life with Jesus as your king, that you might be able to enjoy life in God's kingdom. Now, if that's you this morning, and you're trying to maybe fit some pieces together, and you've walked in here knowing that I'm not sure about Jesus at all, my prayer for you, my earnest prayer for you today would be that you would not leave here in the same way that you walked in. That maybe today, and I really mean today, that maybe today would be your day of salvation. That this would be the day that you say, you know what, Lord, I am blind. I really don't see. Give me eyes to see you. And that you might walk out these doors a different person. I know many of us here are Christians. Praise God. Many of you have been walking with the Lord for many, many years, which is long enough to know that though you see spiritually many, many things, well, you don't see everything. None of us do, at least not yet. You have sight, praise God, but you still don't see everything clearly, totally, completely. Longevity with Jesus doesn't automatically translate into perfect 2020 spiritual vision. 
you see, but that doesn't mean that sometimes you're not prone, as I am, to stumble and fumble around a little bit in the darkness, sometimes for long stretches of time. So all of us here this morning find ourselves in a very similar situation. We find ourselves in need of better eyesight, more clarity, a clear picture of, of what we actually really need to see, of who we need to see. Every one of us here needs a spiritual eye exam. And that's what our text here in Mark chapter 8 actually offers to us. We're in a section here of Mark's gospel that highlights our great need for spiritual sight. If you were here last week, then you know that the Pharisees desperately needed that. They were blind. They were blind to Jesus. They were blind to his mission. They were blind to what he wanted to do and what he wanted to accomplish in their life. They were blind to their great need for him. And instead of accepting Jesus on his terms, what did the Pharisees do? Well, they argued with him. And that kind of hard-hearted blindness doesn't die easy. It requires genuine repentance. We also learned last week that 12 grown men really can argue over something as mundane as bread, which is shocking, isn't it? The disciples of Jesus sitting in the boat hearing Jesus, listening to Jesus, well, they didn't get it either. They, they missed the point. Their hearts were, were dull. And, and so they saw some things, but they didn't see everything clearly. They didn't see what Jesus really wanted them to see. And even though Peter will understand a little bit more, and we'll look at him next week, it's not actually until after the cross and the resurrection of Jesus that the disciples actually do then finally get it. That's when they really begin to see. What's fascinating here, though, in these four verses, 22 through 26, is that we see a blind man who actually does receive his sight. And this blind man becomes really the only person in this whole chapter who actually sees clearly. And so what I want us to do this morning is or what I would like to do this morning, is I, I simply want to tell this story. And as I tell this story, I'm going to make some, what I hope are helpful observations along the way so that we can understand really what's going on. And then I'll close with three lessons for us, just points of application for us as, as we seek to see Jesus and follow him as faithful disciples. Now, one of the keys to really understanding the Bible, and certainly when we come to a story like this, is to notice any details that might be unusual, maybe even unique. And then to go the extra step and to say, well, well, what is going on there? I wonder, why is that there? Now, these four verses here in Mark are actually a really good example of this. In fact, a, a cursory reading of this, the, the view from 35,000 feet, you might think, well, it seems to be much the same. I don't know that there's a whole lot to talk about here. There's a, a man in great need. He meets Jesus, Jesus heals this man in great need, this man's life is absolutely transformed. Where have we heard that before? Where have we read that before? Well, obviously, I mean, that's what Jesus is doing here in the Gospel of Mark. In fact, Jesus has performed hundreds, if not thousands, of miracles for people while he lived on this earth. And we have seen, haven't we, from Mark chapter 1 all the way through here to Mark chapter 8, 
it seems like this is Jesus doing what he does. It's not really any breaking news, is it? Well, not exactly. This story here before us is actually unique. It's only found here in the Gospel of Mark. So none of the other Gospel writers record this, just Mark. And it's actually unusual, very unusual, in that this miracle occurs in two stages. It happens progressively, in other words. Every other time that Jesus heals, he speaks, the person's healed. He touches, the person's healed. It's, it's instantaneous. But here, this blind man sees progressively in two stages. He's not healed right away. And so this is one of those details when you're reading the Bible that you want to say, well, why is it? what's going on there? I wonder what's happening there. I mean, did Jesus misfire on the first attempt? Did he... Did he did he, did he kind of, this blind man was too much for Jesus, more than he bargained for, and he had to kind of regroup, a little time out, let me figure this out. Okay, second attempt. Is that what Jesus had to do? One of the questions I would have for Mark is, like Mark, out of, out of all the hundreds, thousands of miracles that were just pretty straightforward, bam, he's healed, like, this is a bit problematic. Like, are you trying to make Jesus look bad here? So what's going on? Those are some of the details that, that we want on earth. We, we want to have answers to, and in fact, we do have answers to. So here's the story, verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. Now, Bethsaida was on the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was actually the hometown to three of these disciples of Jesus, hometown to Peter, Andrew, and Philip. And as was often the case, we've seen this, haven't we, with Jesus, as soon as he gets out of the boat, well, there's a whole delegation of people that are running to him, that are coming to him. And in this case, they bring to him a man who is blind. Now, blindness in the first century was endemic to ancient culture. The lack of understanding about personal hygiene, the, the scarcity of medicine and proper medicines, the exposure to the harsh elements meant that there were a lot of blind people in the first century, and there was nothing that you could do about it. There's nothing that they could do about it. So it was a very common disease. What was uncommon was what this blind man's friends did. No doubt they had heard of Jesus. They had heard of his compassion. They had heard that other blind people had been helped and healed by him, and they knew that no one else could help blind people like Jesus could. So they bring their blind friend to Jesus. They actually come, Scripture says, begging. They begged Jesus to touch him, to heal him. They see that their friend cannot see, and they are hopeful that if Jesus can see their friend, that maybe then he can make their friend see as well. Maybe if they can just get their friend in front of Jesus, well, maybe he can do the impossible. Maybe he can give them sight. These are the sorts of friends, brothers and sisters, that we would want to have. Would we all have friends like this blind man evidently had? I mean, that's really the definition of a true friend who really cares. True friends who really care bring their friends to Jesus. A true friend, in fact, will do whatever it takes 
to make sure that their friend in need sees Jesus. Puts them in front of Jesus. Now this week with Thanksgiving, I know in, in my own home group, as we were, were sharing this last week, all of us are going to be in situations this week where we're going to have Thanksgiving with people who don't know Jesus, family members and friends. And so we just began to share that sometimes it can be awkward. It can even be anxiety-producing. You're trying to figure out, how do I be salt and light in this? How do I not offend? How do I speak the truth? And it can get complicated really, really fast. So we're praying and certainly praying for you as as you trust the Lord for those conversations, trusting that he does, that those folks are not there by accident, you're not there by accident. There will be gospel opportunities. But here's the one thing that we can know, brothers and sisters. The one thing we can know is that you can bring your needy family members and friends to Jesus, and you can know that Jesus is not going to turn them away. He didn't turn this blind man away. He's not going to turn them away. And so if you have one friend in your life that helps you see Jesus more clearly, well, then you are blessed. And if you are that friend, well, what a great blessing to the people around you. Verse 23, and he, Jesus, took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked them, he asked him, do you see anything? Now, if you're blind and you can't see, well, Jesus is the guy to turn to. Jesus is the one that you want to help you. And I want you just to zero in this morning, just for a moment or two, brothers and sisters, on what Jesus does here. Notice his compassion. Notice his meekness. Notice his sensitivity, his, his tenderness to this blind man. Jesus takes him by the hand to lead him. In other words, Jesus touches him. Jesus knows what we can probably assume. The only time this blind man in the first century was touched if he was shoved out of the way. Get out of the way. You're in the way. Move away. But that's not what Jesus does here. He takes them by the hand. And he leads them where? Away from the crowds to a private place, literally to, to a solitary place. So whatever Jesus is going to do next, we, he's not going to do in front of a lot of people. He's not going to do first show. He's not looking for a lot of attention or fanfare. And we can infer certainly from this text, that what we have here is Jesus. We have a blind man in a quiet place. And yes, we have the disciples who are probably trailing just a pace or two behind. They're, these are the same disciples that were in the boat with Jesus. Yes, the very same guys who are probably still thinking about bread and probably upset at each other that you didn't bring the bread. Old habits die hard. But notice what Jesus does. He then spits on this blind man's eyes and he touches him. And then he asks a very, very interesting question. Do you see anything? And I love how Mark describes what happens next. Verse 24. And this man looked up and said, I see people but they look like trees walking. I love the honesty 
of this blind man who, who now sees, but only in part. He, he doesn't see everything clearly. I mean, how easy would it have been to say, and maybe that would be your inclination, I and mean, Jesus does something like that, and for the first time you're starting to make out, you, you're starting to see way more than you could five minutes ago, and Jesus says, well, do you, do you see anything? And he'll be like, well, yeah, I, I do. This is great. I'm sure it's going to kick in a little bit. Lord, thanks. That's, that's enough. You, you've got other people to care for. Maybe you can swing by on, you know, a little bit later, a week or two down the road, just maybe a follow-up appointment. But yeah, I think I'm good. This is great. I'm starting to see way more. I'm good. I mean, this man sees, but not totally. Not clearly. He saw people, but they looked like trees. So he could make shapes. He could make figures. He could see some of the colors, but he, he, it's only partially. His sight is still fuzzy, blurry. It's, it's not yet clear. So Jesus had restored some of his sight, but, but not all. Sometimes when you see, you don't see everything at once. And sometimes when you begin to see spiritually, you don't see everything with perfect clarity all at once either. Can you imagine being one of those disciples there, gathered around here? You have a front row seat to yet another miracle of Jesus, but it's not going down the way that you had anticipated. So you're looking around, you're seeing Jesus, he spit. Last time Jesus spit, something extraordinary happened. So you're, you're paying attention now, he spit, and you're trying to think, okay, well, how come that guy doesn't see? What, why can't he see everything? Can you imagine the sidebar conversations with the disciples? What is Jesus up to here? I mean, did, did Jesus get more than he bargained for here with this guy? Now, certainly by this point in Mark's gospel, we can look back and we have seen and heard enough from Jesus to know that he never needs a do-over. Jesus never needs a second attempt at anything. He's not like us. We do need do-overs. We don't get it the first time, the 10th time, the 600th time sometimes before we start to put the pieces together and figure it out. But we have seen Jesus over and over again in the Gospels here heal with a word, with a touch, and that person is healed. Isn't it interesting that we never have to read in Scripture that Jesus healed someone, and then the next day he circled back through town just to do a follow-up visit? just to double, double check to see if his miracle actually worked. Jesus doesn't have trouble healing people. Not then and not now. So if Jesus heals you, you're healed. So this two-step process here from Jesus in this story, well, there's, there's an intentionality to that it's all part, clearly, of his wise plan, but the question is, his wise plan for whom? And that really gets to the heart of this story. Because, brothers and sisters, what we're dealing with here is really an enacted parable. So it's a, it's a visual story designed by Jesus to teach, to instruct, to make clear what is unclear. In other words, Jesus intends for this whole scene to be a sign. Yet another sign, but the question is a sign to whom? 
Now, no doubt it was a sign to this blind man and to his friends. Yes, Jesus is the one you want to come to. Jesus can make the blind see. But looking beneath the surface, going a little bit deeper, this was a sign for the disciples. Remember, back in verse 18, in a text we read last week, Jesus asked them, do you not see? And now we have Jesus, in effect, leading his disciples to that very same point where he's saying, guys, do you, do you still not see? I mean, do you see what I'm doing here? Are you getting this? This is what you're like. See this blind man, disciples? See what's going on with him? This is you. This is your predicament. This is your challenge. This is your problem. And that's ours. So as we read this story, we're, we're meant, we're, we're supposed to say, you know what, that, that's me. That blind man, that's me. That's, that's a picture of me. I, I don't see everything clearly, at least not yet. From Genesis 3 on, every person has been blind or still is spiritually blind. And as a result, every person needs Jesus to give them sight. John Newton once said, there are those who stumble in the noonday, but not for want of light, but for want of eyes. The problem is not that the light is not there. The problem is we don't have eyes to see it. We don't see clearly. We need spiritual eyes to see what we need most. So we read then in verse 25. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. Literally that last phrase. He saw everything clearly from afar. So this blind man now doesn't just see in shapes or figures. But he's looking out seeing everything clearly. And beginning in verse 23, and, and really here in verse 25, Mark uses a cluster of Greek words here to, to make that point, that this man now sees fully, completely, clearly. He basically has eight different ways, Mark does, synonyms of saying that this is exactly what happened. Jesus took away his blindness, he opened his eyes, he gave him sight. We would say, the light bulb came on, he flipped the switch. So, like, if you're reading this in the original language, you're finally, like, Mark, I get it. You, okay, you made your point. Jesus took away this man's blindness. That's why I love that Jesus healed this man in two stages. Had Jesus left him only halfway healed, I mean, this man would have spent the rest of his life saying hi to trees and chopping down people. <laughs> but Mark wants us to know that Jesus made the blind see. Jesus has that kind of power. And Jesus still has that kind of power today. He has that kind of power for you and for me, for all those who are in Christ. He has the, still has the power to make spiritually blind people See, Jesus can handle the toughest of people, even the most difficult of people. 
And you may be here this morning thinking, well, I'm, I don't consider myself to be a real difficult people. In fact, I think my eyesight is pretty good, my spiritual eyes. I'm not sure that I need an exam. Well, sir, I don't see everything clearly. I can see here. Maybe here. A little bit blurry in here, but I can get by. Brothers and sisters, you know what every last one of us in this room desperately needs from Jesus? We need the same thing. We need Jesus to spit and poke us in the eyes. You heard that right. We need Jesus to spit and poke us in our eyes. Try praying that this week. I bet that's probably a prayer that none of us have ever prayed. I'm just starting to pray that. We need to see. We need a touch from Jesus. None of us are so advanced here spiritually that we do not need a touch from the master. We need to see. We need Jesus to spit and poke us in the eyes. The Lord wants to give you sight. He has the power to give you eyes to see what you really need to see. Verse 26. I wonder how you would end this story. I wouldn't end it like this. And Jesus, he sent him to his home saying, don't even enter the village. It seems a little bit odd. Maybe even cruel. This guy can now finally see for the very first time in his life, totally, clearly from afar, and Jesus says, hey, Nobody else can know that you can now see. What's going on there? Jesus didn't say, don't ever speak about this at all. But what he's essentially saying is, the the timing's not right. The, The timing's off here. Don't go into the village because, yes, people will notice. And in fact, they're going to look for another show. They're going to want another show. And I'm not going to give them a show. So hold on, hang tight. They have eyes, but they don't see clearly. I actually think, too, that though Jesus gave this instruction to this now formerly blind man, he knows he's speaking to those disciples there, too. And so it's another indication that Jesus is saying, guys, this is not for the crowds. This is not for the people out there. This is for you. Do do you have eyes to see what exactly is going on in front of you, what I'm doing here? This is for you so that you would be able to see because from this point on, brothers and sisters, in the gospel, Jesus makes a beeline to the cross. And he's intent on making sure that his disciples know exactly what is going to happen, that he would suffer on the cross, that he would be a suffering Messiah who would lay down his life for them and they would need eyes to see him and eyes to follow him. Even when on the cross they thought all hope is lost. You need eyes to see beyond that, to what God was up to in Christ. And that's what Jesus is trying to do for these disciples. And that's what he's trying to do for us this morning. He wants to give you eyes to see. So what can we learn from this story by way of application? I think there are three lessons for us. Actually, I take that back. There's 17 lessons but I'm just going to give you three. Number one, be honest. Be honest spiritually about what you are seeing 
or what you are not seeing spiritually. It does you no good to think that you're seeing clearly when in fact you're actually not. I sat around this last summer trying to read, wondering, I probably should do something about this. Yeah, I probably should do something about that. I don't think I can see. Maybe I can see. Maybe I, maybe I can't see. What should I do about that? And finally, yet again, I pretty much had Becky make an appointment. I mean, she made it on her own. Like, it sort of got to the point where she's like, quit, quit bothering me. <laughs> like, man up. <laughs> but this enacted parable confronts us with, with a self-examining question. Do I realize what I'm missing out on? What am I not seeing that I really need to see? So humble yourself. Be honest and ask for help rather than wasting time stumbling and bumbling in the darkness. Confess that maybe too often you see people, but they look like trees walking around. And then ask for another touch from Jesus and another touch and another touch. Don't stop coming to Jesus asking for him to spit and poke you in the eyes because you need to see. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a, a great book, Spiritual Depression. Uh, he actually has a chapter in here concerning this very story. And he said this, above everything else, avoid making premature claims that your blindness is cured. He went on and said, what saved this man was his absolute honesty. So brothers and sisters, we need that kind of honesty if our eyesight, if our spiritual eyesight is to improve. Consider that perhaps you might have way more in common this morning with this blind man from Bethsaida. I mean, he knows it. His friends know it. But one of the biggest obstacles, in fact, in coming to Christ, and one of the biggest obstacles in growing in Christ and maturing in Christ as a disciple is just to come to this point here where you say, Lord, I'm not seeing this. I don't see clearly. In fact, there's whole areas of my life where I am stumbling and bumbling around in the darkness. I'm not seeing. I don't see things clearly. Is it possible friend, that you might have just gotten used to squinting at Jesus. You see, but not very clearly. And so perhaps you've been a Christian for many, many years, but you're, you're squinting at Jesus. So be honest. What is your spiritual state? Where in your life can you point to and say, you know what, I, I haven't been seeing clearly. I've been squinting. And I need to do something about that. Now let me give an example. I think there are many. But let me give, at least give you one example of I think what squinting at Jesus might look like. Let's say that you are an avid theological reader. There's a book out there. You've read it. You're a deep thinker. You listen to debates. You like to debate. The people around you know they can go to you for theological Questions and answers. Now, all of that is fine and well. The problem is you can tend to be a pretty big jerk. So you actually kind of repel people. And they don't really want to come to you because you kind of hold your knowledge over them. Well, you see, but you don't see clearly. You're still squinting at Jesus. 
Now, the opposite is actually also true. Maybe you're wonderfully warm, affectionate, you have great zeal, you have great passion, people love hanging around you, but, but you actually lack knowledge of Jesus. You, you lack knowledge of the gospel. I mean, you're all about Jesus, but you don't really know him, and you don't really care to know him on any deep and abiding level. Well, you get it, but you don't get it all. You, you see, but, but you don't see clearly yet. You're, you're still squinting. You need to see more. You need another touch from Jesus, and another touch, and another touch. So be honest about where you're at this morning. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Be patient. Be patient with those around you who are not seeing what they need to see, who are not seeing what you tell them they need to see. Because, in fact, you have much in common with them. This doesn't mean that you ignore or overlook blatant things. Of course not. But nobody, nobody comes to Christ and immediately upon salvation sees everything perfectly and clearly. Add some sin, their own, others, add some bit of suffering, some trial, some hardship. And isn't it amazing that those of us who think we see clearly suddenly don't see anything at all? So the people around you, for the people around you, you can love them best by being patient with them. R.C. Sproul was a gifted theologian. Again, many of you have very familiar with that name here. He's a prolific author, Christian leader, wrote a book called The Holiness of God that probably, and I, I say this not in any word of hyperbole, probably changed an entire generation of lives. I count myself as one of those. He was a spiritual giant in many, many ways. Towards the end of his life, an interviewer was asking him, he said, R.C., what, what would you prefer that people not know about you? Which is an interesting question, isn't it? And he replied that I smoked cigarettes for 40 years. The interviewer was a little bit shocked, so it kind of pressed in a little bit more and said, well, you know, you want to you tell me a little bit more about that? And R.C. Sproul said, well, it almost destroyed my soul. I mean, I never prayed about anything so much about what I did as much as I did about that. I'm the one who proved the adage that it's easier to quit smoking because I did it a thousand times. I hated it, but it was an addiction, a physiological addiction, and I just couldn't kick it. Well, by God's grace, and it took 40 years, R.C. Sproul did quit smoking cigarettes for good. 40 years. So now on his gravestone, his epitaph reads, he was a kind man, redeemed by a kinder Savior. Isn't that good? Church, following Jesus is not a quick fix. It's not a quick fix to get you over a rough spot in your life. It's not a quick fix to, to give you the life that you think you want or you deserve. That's not it at all. Because our many sins don't die easily. We do not change quickly. We don't see everything clearly. And our faith grows ever so slowly and that presents just a wonderful opportunity for a local church like ours for brothers and sisters as we are who can be lovingly patient with each other 
We can intercede for each other. We can pray for one another. We can ask others and seek the prayers of others. And we can be thankful that others are patient with us. It's been said often and repeated frequently. Be kind to everyone, for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. And indeed we are. So we don't see everything clearly, not yet. But one day we will. And that's actually our third lesson. Be honest, be patient, be hopeful. Be hopeful. The kingdom of God is broken through in Jesus Christ through his life, death, and resurrection from the dead. But it is yet to be consummated. And so until such time, I think we can, we can all agree with Paul in Romans 8 that we groan as in the pains of childbirth. Some of us perhaps are doing more groaning than others. So we groan, but while we don't see everything clearly this side of eternity, we can still worship Jesus fully. We can still know him intimately. We can still wake up every morning and make it our goal to please him. Lord, how do I please you this day? Even as we struggle and we fall, the key is to get up and to keep moving forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. We do struggle, we do fall, we don't see things clearly. But you know, the, the precious good news of the gospel is that even when we fall and when we fail and when we struggle, all of your sins, past, present, and future, have been nailed to the cross. Every last one of them. The really big ones and the really small ones, at least according to you, all of them have been nailed to the cross. You know what that means? If you are in Christ, if you are united by faith in Christ, if you actually really are trusting Jesus, that there is no condemnation because Christ has absorbed all the condemnation that you and I deserve, then that means that you are free. You're free. So yeah, you fall down and you get back up in the power of the Holy Spirit. That resurrection power that is at work in your life. Falling down, getting up, falling down, getting up, falling down, getting up, falling down, getting up, yes, falling down and getting up all the way to heaven. I just gave you my best definition of the perseverance of the saints. And one day, we as believers in Christ we will see fully. We will see clearly, like never before. What a great and glorious day that will be. And brothers and sisters, that day is coming. That's not just pie in the sky kind of theology. That's not just Jesus' attempt to, to keep us moving. That's a signed, sealed, and delivered promise from the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So until that day, we walk by faith, but it is a faith-filled hope. We live with that faith-filled hope. We pray with that faith-filled hope. Just as the Apostle Paul prayed for the Ephesian saints. Ephesians chapter 1. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, because